Hello and welcome to Table Talk Friday, your weekly dose of D&D banter between three lads in a bedroom. If you like their style, make sure to follow them on whichever podcast service you prefer, and come back every Friday for another upload. Now, back to the boys. I know a couple things about Greyhawk, though, because of Saltmarsh. Do you know a single city's name? Saltmarsh. <laughs> I don't have a dollar to give you. <laughs> be like, there you go. There you go. <laughs> you deserve this. I believe uh, the uh, the kingdom is called Keoland. Okay. Keo Keoland. Yeah, and the king's name Keo is Keoland. King Scotty. <laughs> is it really King Scotty? It is oh King Scotty. <laughs> T Scotty, like from Katawa. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that's it. That's it. Yep, T yep, Scotty yep. Eric. So, did you see the final Smash reveal? Yes, I did. The, that I game, thought his final smash was very stupid. It was. But um, what I did like a lot was the second the music started playing, my whole body just filled with nostalgia. I I was texting Chase the whole time. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to cry, dude. Because the second Kingdom Hearts music starts playing, I don't care what it is. It could be a trailer for Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memories. And I'll go, damn. <laughs> you know? It's so, it, it overwhelms me emotionally. How like good the composition is because it it takes everything you love about a Square Enix game and then gives you Disney music yeah and puts them together and with the, just this amazing composition that took all my nostalgia and overwhelmed my body and then the ending of the trailer where like Sora and uh, Mario were shaking hands and it zooms back I was like this is the perfect ending because yeah. it's like and it's like okay this he's the perfect pick only because. You know, Kingdom Hearts is a mashup of Disney and anime type type yeah. shit. You know, Final Fantasy, Disney, Square Enix stuff, and then you t- you uh, you know Smash, the perfect amalgamation of a bunch of like different types of games. The fact that they even got like Sora in there is mind boggling to me. Well, they- but the best songs are not in the game, which no. does suck. Right, but the, just the in the trailer where they had the friggin' you know uh, simple and clean orchestral whatever. Uh, like, uh, I listen to that shit. Uh, on repeat, like I would just sit on the title screen of Kingdom Hearts One and yeah. leave it running in the background, so that you get um, what even is the song? The bum 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 bum. That that one. Uh, is it the? Uh, I forget. The the title screen. I forget. One. I forget. Yeah, yeah. But that it. song. But then you get the uh, the sizzle reel, uh, and then they they give you that uh, that orchestral version of Sizzle yeah. and Clean. Um, and so it does hit me in my nostalgia, even though I kind of hate Sora. I don't like him at all. He's, he's but. literally typical power friendship anime protagonist. Like, mm-hmm. he's the same, I would treat him the same as I would treat, like, I don't know, like, Deku from Boku no Hero. Like, he's, he's just the good guy, you know? Right. He's the good guy, and everything he says makes no sense, because Kingdom Hearts doesn't make sense, but I love it, because, uh, I'm emotional about it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's my thing, like, I've got... Uh, I have no I, reason to love it, but I love it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've got a childhood attachment to it. To where, like, even though I still don't understand the, the plot, really, I don't care to... Um... That's the bad thing I do. I do understand <laughs> it. <laughs> but you, you show me uh, Sora, and then you say, Hey, remember when he fought Sephiroth? Yeah! Oh, I yeah! remember that! <laughs> How did Sephiroth get in this game first? <laughs> no, absolutely! That was... Oh. And then they show that with Sakurai fading to black while Sakurai is waving like this. Uh-huh. And I was like, Daddy Sakurai, come back! <laughs> Turn the screen back on! Yeah. 
You know, it was like it was like the ending of Una's Honest. You know, where it's like, oh, oh you know, you can't uh, talk about Smash, it. it's Smash Ultimate ends, and you're like, that was the this is the last update happening in like a week and a half, and then you know, I'm I'm like, well, now what? Yeah. <laughs> Which Chase said after our our Friday night session that week that it comes out, we should play a couple rounds of Smash just because. You know, I agree. Something to do, you know. It'll, yeah. it'll be nice. Um, I'm gonna get my uh, butt kicked for a couple rounds. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> well, I'll need someone to bring Joy Cons and or like controllers because one of my Joy Cons is still drifting and I'm never gonna get it fixed. Nah. Yeah. Ah, shit. We don't have any GameCube controllers to hook up to our GameCube. I have one. No, I have two. I have two you GameCube have, controllers. Do you have the um, controllers sitting around? The hookup? No. Okay. No, I don't have. We could it. probably. I bet those aren't super rare anymore. No, we can probably find one easy. I hope so. Anyways, welcome to Table Talk Friday, our weekly podcast all about everything D&D. I hope you enjoyed our little intro section there. My name is Seth Pittman. Someone else take over. My name is also <laughs> Seth Pittman. And I am Seth Pittman. <laughs> <laughs> and all three of us, simulacra of one another, are here to talk about backgrounds and backstories. Um... Each of us has a player's handbook, I believe, ready to go. Sure. I'm not sure how we should... Well, I think we should structure this to start from the beginning with the, the personality and background section and kind of talk about how we handle these things. Because, personally, I always see my background as something I've come up with creatively and then I look for the one that matches it. Um, like, I come up with my character idea and then I go into the background to go, okay, which one of these is kind of similar? Um... I know not everybody does it the same way, and that's not how it's written in the book. It's like, okay, write, like, pick this. Um, pick your name, pick your, your sex, your height and weight, and all of that first. And then go into your backgrounds. But, I don't know. How do you guys prefer to go about, like, creating a character and picking a background? It, it kind of depends for me, personally. Sometimes I'll pick the background first and kind of build around that. Uh, but a lot of the times, uh, I run especially a lot of new players. And I think backgrounds are just really complicated for new players. Uh, they're just, they don't really fill a certain gap a lot of the time. Sometimes they have a, a certain idea of a character they want to make, but none of the backgrounds are really that or what they're imagining. So a lot of times I'll have them make their character and then either look at some of the abilities that go with it and see which ones they kind of vibe with mm -hmm. their character. Or I'll just read through them and say, hey, which one best fits? It doesn't have to be exact, you know, just kind of make it work so we can start playing. Right. Um. But for me specifically, I guess when I'm choosing a background, I try to, I try to pick one and make it work with the character. I, I will I'll pick it and start to build around it in a sense that uh, recently I made Samoon, and I wanted him to be a navigator, uh, but I also wanted him to be like a like a treasure hunter kind of a vibe. Um, so I ended up going with the archaeologist background, which is an online thing. You're not going to find it in any of the books. I believe it was... Uh, Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, it's in Tomb of Annihilation. <clears throat> oh, okay. So Tomb of Annihilation. Right. Which was really cool, and I ended up building his story around the background itself. So it was a yeah. little more in-depth there. Uh, but I think it depends on how you look into them, how you feel about them, and if you really vibe with them. Okay. Yeah, and that's... Um, I'll say there's multiple ways to do it. Sort of depends on how I'm feeling that day. But um, it, I think that background is a nice thing to consider early um, if you've got a backstory in mind. So for, uh, for my most recent character that I've created that I'll probably never use, uh, his name is you. Um, and, uh, his and, name is me! Right. So, <laughs> so I had this idea of like a character 
who's just been, you know, uh, on the run, uh, on the road, running with different bands of, like, orcs and monsters and bandits and mercenaries. And, like, his entire life and throughout his upbringing, he was just uh, brought up around that sort of violent stuff. Um, But he's actually just sort of, like, a big softy sweetheart who um, only commits violence because he thinks that that's sort of, like, what's normal. So, um... That was my backstory. I didn't have the exact idea of what build I wanted for that character yet. Uh, So I chose the mercenary veteran background first uh, because I thought that sort of fit and then uh, built out from there. But typically, uh, I I think background is sort of less important. And if I'm being honest, the thing that I look for in a background uh, every time that I do it is, okay, well, what skills do I get? (laughs) Um, Because um, if I'm making a character like, okay... I really want to do a paladin, sorcerer, multi-class. I'll say, um, well, I don't really care what the background is, but how can I make it uh, give me the best things? Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, I might go Knight of the Order, or I might go Folk Hero. It depends how I'm feeling on that yeah. day. Um, but a uh, caveat to that is uh, the backgrounds that they give you in the book aren't necessarily the only backgrounds that you can pick from. Uh, And that's sort of the thing that I like about backgrounds. And I think Tasha's uh, with their... (laughs) Me kicking the mic casually. (laughs) Yeah, with uh, with their kicking the mic casually. uh, I I think that they've added um, a lot of uh, customization options, especially at character creation, where, okay, you can choose your ability scores uh, regardless of your race now. You can uh, create custom races. Uh, they give you a template for that. Uh, you can swap out your proficiencies, sort of, uh, depending on, you know, the sort of thing that you would want um, without any sort of, like, racial tie to your uh, to your character, which is cool. I like all that. And I think that really opens the door to consider, um, okay, well, I want to make my background my own. So let's say I've got a really great idea for, like, a character who... Uh, lives in a sky kingdom and you know that flies uh pegasus or like raises pegasi yeah there's not that you know a pegasus uh razor background uh in the book but you and your dm can work out okay well what sort of things would this pegasus tamer be good at yeah Uh, animal handling probably sounds about right um maybe athletics to go along with that um since you know there's a lot of uh athleticism that would be involved in uh, wrangling flying horses, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, so you can sort of c- consider that option as well. And I think uh, moving forward with some of my characters, I might try and uh, see how far out of the box I can go because I think um, it's nice to have that level of customizability. Of course, there are some tables and some DMs who say, yeah, just pick one from the book. Uh, we'll make it work. And, um, and that's fine too. Uh, it really just depends on who you're playing D&D with and what the uh, the general consensus is. Because I know some DMs will say, well, no, I don't want you to just cherry pick the, the skills you want. I want you to make it make sense. Yeah. So it depends. I mean, I like I would like for it to make sense too. Even though, like, if you say, oh, I really want to have insight and deception um, for whatever job you're, you went with or, like, whatever background you went with, I'd still like it to kind of make sense with your background. But, like, you, you know, you can bend the rules a little bit. You know, right. it's not a big deal. Um, there are some that are, like, even just in the player's handbook that you can play with a lot, though. I like, um, 
you can get some good benefits from your background is what I'm trying to say. So there are like the lower ones where it's like, okay, well, I'm a, I'm a charlatan. So I get a, I get a thing of dice, which is cool. Like I get, I get a couple like little trick decks or like a, a thing of dice that roll the same every time or something like that. But like there are some that can make a huge deal in, in your gameplay, like in the story of the game. Like for instance, I'm looking at Guild Artisan right now. Um, you get a membership to a guild, meaning that you're a member of a guild. So, <laughs> if you're you're like a fisherman or an, uh, a locksmith or something like that, you can go to those people and ask for help in that task or like with whatever task you're going on. It can, I think, especially for new players, you can picking a, a background that gives you a benefit like that or um, using the background to your advantage is is a lot of fun. Um, for more advanced players, they're probably going to decide those things anyways. You know, like, I can look at you and be like, ah, ah well, I already decided I'm going to be a member of the Emerald Enclave. Like, I've already decided that. So, <laughs> don't even worry about trying to tell me about it, because I've already decided. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, if a new player's at the table and they're like, well, I don't know the first thing about what a sage is, well, you know, sit down, explain it to them, and they can use whatever the sage gives you as, um, inspiration for actually how they're going to roleplay their character, you know? I think mostly the background will come up in roleplay. I mean, you do get some... <laughs> you, you get some of those. <laughs> Dang, I didn't expect that to go out. Um, you, you do get some, some cool tools and stuff from it. You know, you could get a disguise kit from your background. You can get your set of artisan's tools or whatever it is, um, which is going to help you later on, but you can also buy those. Um, I think using it as for flavor for your character is mostly your best bet. Um, especially if you're going to create your own, you know, use it with whatever background you have already. So, um, speaking of useful backgrounds, um, let's talk about Urban Bounty Hunter. Yeah. And, and how broken that is. Yeah. Is it good? So, um, so, uh, Drew, uh, you may not be aware, um, <laughs> but in, so it's from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, uh, a book full of controversial, uh, options that were granted spells like Green Flame Blade and Booming Blade that didn't come back until Tasha's. Um, stuff like the Winged Tiefling that have never returned again. Uh, Blade Singer Wizard. All that stuff. Okay. Um, in addition with all those powerful character options was the Urban Bounty Hunter, which is just... If you're looking for a, a, a background that gives you some mechanical benefit, this one's a little broken. Um, and I'll tell you why. So you get... Um, I believe the, the skills are Stealth and Deception, which are both uh, pretty good uh, edgy character uh, skills. I think we'd agree. Pretty solid ones. But uh, in addition to that, you get proficiency with... Uh, I believe you get a couple options, but the only real option is Thieves' Tools. Mm, uh, and yeah. just getting that proficiency from your background is huge because uh, you get one of the, the major benefits of uh, playing as a rogue up front um personally uh i think it's a little powerful uh for just a background because uh, again we you, you sort of see with a lot of the other backgrounds that yeah this is more flavorful uh the benefits that you get from it uh, don't offer that much of like a mechanical impact uh but with urban bounty hunter you do get some pretty awesome stuff i will say it's a really cool background i like the idea of it but um it does make all the other backgrounds look a little bad in comparison, except maybe Outlander, which lets you uh, automatically earn food for you and five other creatures, I believe, uh, every day if you're out in the wilderness, which is also really good. Um, 
And that's why you see both of those options get picked a lot, <laughs> is because of um, their mechanical benefit. Uh, I think if I were creating a background, I'd probably stray away from that level of uh, benefit just because, you know, that's what the classes are there for. It, if you're an, uh, an outlander, you automatically sort of get some of that wilderness expertise that you'd expect from a ranger. If you're a urban bounty hunter, you automatically get some of that uh, tool proficiency that you get from uh, from a rogue. Well, and the most important background feature you could get, if you're an urchin, you travel through the city twice as fast. Yeah, that's the most I important I mean, that's one. the most important Twice as good as all the other backgrounds. <laughs> Which, no lie, came in handy for our um, bard barrel in our last campaign, where every time we entered a city, I had to cut his time, his travel time in half. I was like, oh, well, this would have taken, like, an hour, but I guess it's 30 minutes now. <laughs> <laughs> we're zooming. So, yeah, we're zooming through the city. <laughs> now, was Urchin also the one that gives you a pet mouse, a pet mouse. as well? Yes. yes. Which is a very weird thing to give you like at the beginning of the game. I mean, everybody sees it and is like, oh, I get a pet mouse. But do you know how many pet mice I've had in the campaign and how often they've been used? <laughs> really? Yeah, they've been used once. They have happened one time, and then after like... A fight ever and the, the pet mouse is a part of everybody forgets about it. That's so sad. If I if I had a pet mouse, I'd use it all the time. Yeah, I've it most of the time whenever I have like a rogue or something like that who chooses urchin, which is a common background for a rogue, um, they they get the pet mouse. They're so excited about it before the session. First session starts, never gets brought up again. You yeah. know, <laughs> nobody remembers about the mouse. Um, luckily, I mean, Barrel did bring it up. You know, he'd be like, Keg, yeah, Keg my mouse that I've had this whole time. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, even when you got hit by that meteor swarm. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, Keg's fine. Yeah, Keg's fine. He's <laughs> in his pocket. He had pretty, like three quarters yeah. cover. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's fine. Um, but... You know, I'd never even considered that. Your your mouse would be fried the first time you see a fireball. Yeah. That, it's not even a fireball. Burning hands, it's gone. Yeah, exactly. I like, to, I like to think it levels with you, so at that point it was a level 15 mouse. So it probably could have survived the. It gets sword. out with fifteen sorcery points and just destroys everyone. <laughs> well, what what sort of class features does it have? Is it a is a mouse a class? I feel like it should get at least a couple sorcery points. Maybe sneak attack, uh, perhaps an um, evasion. Maybe a rage. Mechanic. Oh, they definitely have evasion. Mm -hmm. They're fast. Yes. Of course, divine intervention. Yep, yep. Uncanny dodge. I would love for out of nowhere, the, you, you guys are like about to die, you're on edge, your <laughs> urchin rogue comes out of nowhere, he's on the ground, dying, and the mouse rises in just a, a cone of just golden light as he's divine, like divine intervention rolled the correct number and saves everyone. Oh Keg, you did it! <laughs> but then everyone else dies because they're all down. Well, yeah. And has no healing. Well, yeah. It is I, Stuart. The mouse god. <laughs> I've come to save you all. <laughs> um, well, do you guys want to go over some of like the backstories that we've come up with with our backgrounds? Absolutely. I would. I would love to go into the soldier background and talk about our favorite two, like our favorite duo, Glitch and Nine Nine. The best two. Yeah. So, um, in our Eberron campaign that none other than Zachary Carvon was running. The note taker? Um, and yeah, the note, Zachary Carvon, the note, or Zachary the note taker Carvon. Oh, please, <laughs> thank you. My full title. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was only Drew and I, so we were a duo playing in this, like, short Eberron campaign. Um, and we got a little creative with our characters, you know, there was a lot to choose from, but an interesting... Um, race that came up with the Eberron book was the Warforged. 
They're uh, robotic people that were created for a very specific purpose, and that's to serve as soldiers in a war that was taking place only a few years before the campaign started. Um, afterwards, the Warforged kind of just had to live amongst the people because, well, they were there and they're sentient beings with hearts and feelings. Uh, well, metal hearts or tree hearts. Um, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Some kind of heart. So, regardless, um, Drew and I decided to kick up our character creation up a notch and be two of these Warforged who, realistically, since they were created for the war and the war ended two years ago, are only two or three years old apiece. Um, <laughs> but they're fully sentient. So, I chose to go with one who, because of his serialized number, um, was called 9-9, and he took up the name Agent, um, and was Agent 9-9 after the war. He was a rogue. Um, and we both took the soldier background, being that we were warforged, and part of the war that took place a few years ago. Um, 9-9, after everything went down, took his, or moved to Sharn, which was this very, very large city, lots of technology, very steampunk environment, um, and started living his days deciding he wanted to be a private investigator. Um, he starts walking around, solving a couple of, like, little tiny minor crimes here and there, um, making enough money to get himself an apartment and live out his days. But his days got lonely, and he walked the streets sad at night, looking for... <laughs> <laughs> he walked the streets sad at night, Past this same graveyard every single day. Um, one day, when he was walking past, there was uh, a lot of rain and lightning coming down. Um, stuff that, well, realistically, shouldn't be hitting the bottom of Sharn. <laughs> but was. It happens. But it, but it happened. Um, and one of these lightning strikes strikes very, very nearby, probably like 20 meters or so, um, and hits right in the middle of this graveyard where the deceased body of another Warforged was lying, so, uh, spectacularly bringing him back to life. And 9-9 had to check it out with his investigative mind. He goes over, um, checks on this robot, uh, this other Warforged named, well, to which he gives the title Glitch, with his very glitchy stature, um, and they became an investigative duo. Anything you would like to add into that? I, I think that's a prime example of we kind of knew what we wanted our characters to be. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the background didn't play a massive part in it. Right. It was something that gave us a couple extra abilities. It explained our stories a little bit further. Yeah. It gave a little more uh, backstory, if you will. But it wasn't core. Right. You know? And it wasn't it wasn't strictly for the purpose of whatever stats I was getting. I had no clue what I was getting with the soldier background. To this day, I don't really remember what it gives me. All I know is that I chose it because it made sense because I was a Warforged. I was like, well, it only makes sense that since the only thing I've done is fight and investigate that I would be a soldier background because that's my background. Um, kind of limited on choices at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, it came in great handy when uh, you know, Glitch in his 14 strength used his athletics. Uh, proficiency that he got to break down multiple doors. Did uh, I have just... athletic proficiency with soldier? Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> it was I think a, uh, you used it once too, probably. Probably, probably. You definitely used your intimidation because we were constantly investigating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We tried intimidating all the time. It didn't always go great, but um, <laughs> I would yeah, say I, it went pretty well. I've got to say, Glitch was much more intimidating because he wouldn't oh, talk. Yeah, well, <laughs> and when he did talk, he was fully serious all the time. You know, Nine Nine was very. Um, outward in nature, like he acted like he was a noble, even though he wasn't. 
Um, while on the other end, like, Nine-Nine acted like he belonged everywhere. Glitch, on the other hand, acted like he only belonged with Nine-Nine. And whatever Nine-Nine said, Glitch was there to do. I played him as if he was just this objective sentinel, because he, <laughs> he had died in the war, and so the only thing he knew was war, and realistically hadn't been alive that long. Yeah. So he followed Agent Nine-Nine around, because he was the first person he saw, and said, alright, what do we have to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was... It was really fun. I mean, and as far as, like, backstories and backgrounds go, your backstory doesn't have to be fully fleshed out. We didn't write down this whole thing. We kind of just came up with it on the fly after making our characters, and then we added to it as we started playing. And I think for first-timers and people who are not, or or anybody who just doesn't want to sit down and write five pages of a backstory, that's a good way to go about it, just to kind of have a really good idea, and when you're asked a question, come up with an answer. So, like, there would, when people would ask Agent 99 what they had accomplished before, he would be like, well, you probably heard of me from the cat incident. And, <laughs> no, and, you know, we made it up, and it was like, okay, well, obviously that was a thing that happened in this world at some point, um, and sometimes people would be like, oh, that was you? And then other times it would, people would be like, what the what, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and that, that was always a great reaction because even I had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> I like to you think know, it took us a really long time to save a cat. Yeah, a cat was saved. hanging from something or like started falling and one of us accidentally caught it. Um, <laughs> right, right. It just happened to be falling as we walked We, we were carrying pillows and the cat landed right on the pillows. <laughs> it's like, oh, they saved that cat, you know, <laughs> something. Well, yes, we did. Yeah, well, it was all us. Um, and we took credit for it. We were in the paper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, something something crazy like that. Something really zany because that's the kind of characters they were. But, yeah, you don't have to. Um, it, what, is it always nice when we get a fully fleshed out backstory that makes sense and is coherent with the world? Yes, of course it is. But it doesn't have to be. Um, sometimes you can pick that background play around with it in your head an hour before the session starts and just start playing as your character. Other times, it might be good, you know, if you're going to be playing a 60, 70, you know, plus session campaign, might be good to come up with a couple more ideas before you <laughs> before you start um, your first session. That's true. And frankly, if you're, if you're really stuck, maybe this is a, a controversial idea, but uh, maybe play the first session without knowing exactly what your background is. Maybe kind of feel your character out a little yeah. bit. That's kind of how I rule alignments, which is just your standing on morality, essentially. I don't think you can really kind of have one until you've played your character and gotten into your role. So yeah, that's Don't be true. afraid to play a little bit, or, or maybe just role-play your character with a friend before you start and kind of vibe with where you want to go. Yeah, and you might come up with, like, later on, you might accidentally, you know, stumble into something you like better. Like, for instance, Varys the Merciful. He came up with this beautiful... <laughs> folk hero background where he he spares people as a monk he takes them down like he's a vigilante he takes people down captures them and sends them to jail just like you know your classic lizard folk batman um <laughs> or daredevil classic. um yeah, yeah yeah and you know later on he decided oh i think i think i do kill <laughs> I think I kill everyone. Actually. I think I kill everyone that I come across. Specifically, two innocents sleeping. <laughs> well, we don't have to go all the way to that, but uh, we made the joke after um, our monk in our current campaign descent into Avertus. Um, he he started just killing people, and we were like, "Aren't you Varus the Merciful?" And one of our buddies like changed the name in the, his name in our chat to Varus the Merciless. Yeah. <laughs> much more fitting. Yeah, much more fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, um, it, it's okay to be, uh, just a little, 
up in the air about it. I, I, I would agree that uh, when I start, uh, most of my characters uh, that I play, I have like an idea of sort of where they're coming from and like what they're about. But I usually wait at least for the first three sessions uh, before I write a full backstory because a lot of um, the fun of playing a new character is sort of deciding, okay, well, th these are their mannerisms and these uh, are the things that they, uh, they care about. Usually that'll come out in play and you'll yeah. sort of start to learn as you play them, oh, I now I get it. Uh, Oswin is kind of a drunk. But, like, he's also, like, a fun uncle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, to some, a fatherly figure. Yeah, exactly. Uncle Oswin. So, um, if I'd have... If I came in uh, session one and I said, Seth, here's my incredibly detailed backstory of all the, the special things that Oswin's done. Uh, when I come to the table, I'll feel more restricted when uh, I see a good opportunity to say something funny. Well, <laughs> and one thing that I do like whenever you guys bring me characters is you give me agency to add to it. So, like, remember when Oswin, um, you, you said you wanted to be in Mirror Bar, you wanted to have these couple of things down. I was like, okay, well, this is your neighbor. You know, this is the guy that lives next to you by chance. Yeah. Um, and that way I can make it fit into the sessions, you know? Uh, it wasn't, I didn't leave it all on you to come up with that on your own. I was like, okay, well, let me add to the story that he's given me already. You know, he, mm -hmm. it's brief, but, you know, come up with things on the outside. Or Pythe, you're, you were like... I show up here one day, I did these, and this is what happened. Anything that happened before that, uh, you come up with, Seth. And I was like, cool, I got it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I like having agency to do that, too. And I think that's handy for any time you're writing a backstory for your character. Feel free to leave little plot holes. Or say, hey, damn, uh, you know, I saw my brother a couple years ago, and he was kind of a jerk, but I haven't seen him in so long. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, my dad went missing so many years ago, I haven't seen him since. That way it gives them a little bit of something to do with maybe a story arc in the campaign or maybe uh, an NPC that comes up that gives you a little bit of character development. You never know. Something yeah. to play with. Right. So that's a, a great point, and I think that's a, a, a good uh, way to transition into um, th this entire time we've been talking about backgrounds from the player's perspective. But as a DM, what are the kinds of things that you would uh, look for uh, in, your, in your player's backgrounds? So... Um, I, I think what you just touched on, you know, oh, I've got a brother who was, who went missing a long time ago. I don't know where he is, but, you know, we used to be super close. Uh, something like that uh, is what I like to call ammunition. <laughs> yeah, and um, That's what I like to call three sessions already done for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you just adding in something like that. For example, um, Eknon, he was tied to, to Nightstone and... Uh, this is the town that I come from. All my friends and family live here. Oh, what? The Zentarim have taken over in Nightstone? Well, we have to rush there right now and have a great session that I wasn't a part of. <laughs> <laughs> what a great but session. But I hear too. it was great. Yeah. Oh, no, I mean, that's that's a good uh, example. So, Eknon um, Greylock, one of our rogues um, in Storm King's Thunder, he was a member of Nightstone, and the Zentarim did work with them at the beginning of the campaign and made their stay there seem very reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. So they made their stay seem very reasonable. The characters didn't know a lot about the Zentrum at the time. And come to find out later, um, Eknon's... I, I had a plan for whenever Eknon eventually visits, like, a mailing service or something, because they made it a thing that they would visit, like, um, postal offices and stuff all the time in every town they went to. So I was like, okay, well, eventually when he visits this one, there will be a quest there. And then, lo and behold, a week after I planned this, they say, you know, we haven't gone to the postal office since last session. <laughs> we should go. 
And so I was like, I wasn't prepared for this. And Eknon goes there, and we have this long, long quest that I had to come up with on the spot because we didn't really have, like, I had nothing planned for this. I had a whole other thing planned for the day. Um, but, you know, we worked in Eknon's background right there, and it ended up being one of my probably top three sessions of Storm Kings was that session. Um, it was we'll, very, we'll get into that. Like... We'll get into that story, I think, maybe in the next story time episode, because I, I would like to tell that one, or you can tell it too. I'd love to hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How went... cool was Morwen when he... Insert thing he did here. <laughs> <laughs> Just a Mad Libs with Oswin involved, or Morwen involved. I do, uh-huh, I think uh-huh. we might have left Morwen back in Waterdeep for that session. Like, let him stay and do something else while everybody went to Nightstone. No, I, I, I did come in at the last, uh, the last second when, when, we the, were, when uh, Dramatic Thing happened. Yeah, when Dramatic yeah. Thing happened. Uh, everybody listened to episode 10 of Table Talk Friday when we have it out. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... But I think Morwen was there, or at least you retconned that he was there to spare my feelings. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but uh, but back to little holes in your story. Um, having the you know having Eknon tied into Nightstone and then having the Zenarin come in and take over the town for the rest of the campaign, my character hated the Zenarin. Yeah, that was his that was his arc. That was his development. He you know he was a good guy and he didn't want to kill anybody, but. These people were constantly threatening his family. They're threatening his friends. They tried to assassinate him a couple times. It's like, he, you know, he had to he had to do something about it. <laughs> Man, so. I love those guys. <laughs> oh yeah, su- super friendly. Love them when they take over my town and try to murder my friends. It was, it was great. Yeah. So, all that to say, working in your backstory into the campaign is a great plan. Um, a good example of this as well. You know, you can look at into the newest campaign, Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Um, they have two backgrounds in there strictly for this campaign. Um, you can use the the more the Fey Lost one whenever you want, but the um, one that's a Witchlight Hand that comes with literally you're you're a person who works at the Witchlight Carnival, so you can work that into the campaign. Some of these campaign books have ones that will help your DM work you into the campaign in a very meaningful way because you're already a part of it, like. You have some history to throw in there. You have things to say that are strictly about the carnival because you already work here. You you know your way around. You know, some characters will have to walk in and find their way around, but you can be, like, a guide to that. Um, working with your DM, asking with questions about things like that. I'd love nothing more than for people to bring up their, their backgrounds to me and backstories to me. Not come up to me and say, this is my backstory. Say, how do you like my backstory? Should like, is there anything I should change for the campaign? You know, come up to me and work with me on it because we can make it really, really cool and interesting. Absolutely, and um, I think a great way to get your character, uh, your players' characters invested um, at the start uh, and get everyone on the same page is uh, is something that was introduced in a. Uh, in Eberron, uh, Rising from the Last War, um, but it's been included in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything now, as well is uh, sort of like the uh, younger brother uh, of the, the background, the group patron. Yeah. So, um, we, we talked all about Glitch and Nine-Nine, um, but I, I'd just like to say, starting off, uh, the, the whole, uh, you know, jumping off point to, oh, yes, this is how we're going to be these characters yeah. is... Uh, session zero, I sat you both down and I said, all right, I really like this, uh, this thing that they have in here. It's called a group patron. Uh, it's basically a common, uh, entity that you both, or that you all work for, uh, as a party. So, uh, regardless of, uh, your characters and their backgrounds, um, I need you to incorporate 
uh, whatever your backstory is, uh, into this this patron. So you two decided, uh, session zero, yeah, you know what? Inquisitive agency. I want to be a detective. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so that's a that's how it uh, it came to fruition. But I think just uh, in general, it's a great tool for the DM to say, you know, for example, you've got a player who's uh, more new, and they uh, they want to uh, you know make their character their own, but they're not exactly sure how to fit it in with uh, the rest of everyone else's characters. You know, uh, you can say, "All right, well, let's all be a group patron." So you all, um, you all work for such and such. You work for Barrel and the Giant Spain, or you all work for you know uh, the the university. You work for the military. You work for uh, this particular noble, whatever. Um, it gives you all a uh, a common uh, commonality. So even if uh, session one, all your characters don't know each other super well you have that thing in common that sort of ties you together, which helps avoid the the new player session one combat, where the paladin yeah. and the rogue uh, don't see eye to eye and then immediately say, well, I'm going to fight you. I have all these abilities that allow me to fight you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, I, th- I think the group patron is a, it's really nice for newer players. I think it's also good for uh, more experienced players to just get like a you know not a uh dictating what your backstory should be but giving you a um a framework to work within so that you have you know some ideas so for example in one of our older campaigns we had uh in session zero i said all right i want everyone to decide how you know one another uh and seth uh you said yeah you know what uh I really want to be someone's dad. Uh, and then our, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Eric with a K, said, I'll be your daughter. So, uh, and, and that's how that worked out. And then, you know, what do you know? Galandon and Arinan are the, uh, the, the father-daughter, uh, you know, daring duo throughout all of Curse of Strahd. And what was, super, what was super nice about that was she was estranged, too. So it was like, Dad, why did you go? Also, here I am now because I know about you. Also, we're in life or death situations together all the time. Why do you care about me now, you know? Yeah, so that really speaks to, like, there were so many good interactions and uh, character moments that we had in that campaign uh, just based on that decision that you made before. Yeah. Uh, If you decided, yeah, I'm a half-elf, you're an elf... Uh, we're not related, though, and I don't really have any stake in your happiness or who you are. Um, it it would have been fine. You're both adventurers, you, and as players, you could figure out a reason yeah. uh, that you're traveling together. But it's um, it's really nice if you have that sort of stake in it, which, again, coming back to group patrons, I think um, that is the, the thing that makes it such a, a cool idea, is it encourages everyone to say... Um, yeah, oh, I know you, we work for the same criminal syndicate, and, and you're the brain and I'm the brawn, yeah. or, or, you know, I'm the, I'm the mastermind behind the operation, and we all ha- have that relationship, because, you know, you have a relationship with your coworkers, you have a relationship with the, uh, the people you do crime with. And that could lead to you choosing the same backgrounds, too, you know, like, like Lich and Nine-Nine choosing, um, Soldier, because they were the same, or, like... If someone chose Guild Artisan and both of them are from a Fisherman's Guild, they can both choose that background because it makes sense for their characters. Characters can be wildly different, different race, different class, different everything, but they have this in common to work with. Like, um, for our newest characters, Elijah and Samoon, like, 
the two of them know each other just through some family friend or through through family and um like they play off each other really well so far. I haven't finished writing my backstory yet, but Samoon has, and he's <laughs> he's been bringing it up to, up with me, like all of this kind of this different stuff that Samoon's been through, and like why he is a role model to Elijah, given that they're the same level and fighting the same fight. Meanwhile, you have a sixteen year old ranger and a uh, 40, 42 year old druid that are buds. Yeah. That's like, what are the chances? Yeah, you're both level one. Well, I mean, <laughs> team, please. Oh, of course, of course, <laughs> he's legal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I guess... And he's single. Oh, oh, hey! oh, or is he? Oh, oh. there's actually two of him. <laughs> the reason I, I specifically like the group patrons, while I'll be honest, I haven't read all the way through them, is because I start reading them and then it just gets me going creatively. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. I could do all these things. Like, what if we're all in a band? Yeah, or, exactly. Uh, what if we're all doing this? What if we're all we're at a store together? You know, and then you just start talking with your friends, and you end up with something totally off the rails that you end up doing, like you know, random uh, investigative. Or agency. like, I'm trying to make you guys all interns in our next little campaign that we're doing. Uh-huh. Like, it's just a close friend group, you know. I'm so excited for that. It's yeah, good. Yeah, and so I, I will say uh, the group patron is really nice for inspiration, but I don't care for the the specific or the specificity of it um, necessarily just because there's a lot of yeah you get these special features and uh, it, it all comes with um, th- this sort of expectation that alright well we're choosing this be- for its mechanical quality uh, I think um, that's not necessarily what I would be looking for as a DM it's like okay I can decide uh, how much pay they get for, for doing this job the book doesn't need to tell me that right but which um, is super interesting because it's kind of the inverse of the backgrounds in the book. You know, you look at to the uh, you look to the group patrons. You're like, oh, okay, what kind of creatively works here? Versus when you go to your backgrounds, like, oh, what does it? You know, does it give me stealth? Or, oh, I guess not. I'm not because I'm not going to pick that one. You know? Yeah. Well, and that that's the the thing about it. It's optional. So I I'm really only looking to the group patron to see. All right. Well, how can this enhance my game? Right. And not how can I find more rules to confuse my players with? <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um. Well, do we have any like final thoughts on backgrounds and backstories? I think we covered a good bit. Uh, Zach, did you have an interesting backstory you wanted to share from anything? You know, no. <laughs> How interesting. I've written no. a lot of backgrounds. Um, backstories. My, or, yeah, back... No, I wrote the backgrounds in the book, Seth. Whoa. Look, my name's on it. <laughs> it's um, down there in the fine print. I'm like, whoa! <laughs> um... I, uh, I, my favorite backstory, uh, for any character that I've written is, uh, my current character, Oswin. Um, he's, uh, just to give you a a brief overview, um, we're, our current campaign is a sequel to our previous campaigns who are playing Descent into Avernus, um, but this is the sequel to Storm King's Thunder, so the way that I, uh, wrote Oswin is that, uh, he was, uh, a small child, during the events of Storm King's Thunder, this takes place uh, thirty or forty. It years was thirty later. years before, yeah. Yeah, thirty years. Um, so he's you know in his youth, and then uh, his home was raised by giants, and that's sort of uh, the the catalyst uh, of the events of Storm King's Thunder. But uh, you know, simultaneously, that's what set Oswin on his uh, personal journey of uh, you know self discovery. Uh, he used to be a, a bar hand, um, but then he was displaced. And had to find a new home, so he uh, he went north to Mirabar, uh, and that's where he learned, um, you know, dwarven craft, and that's where I learned to uh, 
let's infuse items with with magical abilities. And that's not what Osmond sounds like. <laughs> no, not um, exactly, but it's close. Yeah, um, yeah. I haven't warmed up my voice yet. It's okay. Or... I, it's okay. Osmond's uh, introducing and outdrawing this show, probably. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's uh, that's where he came from, though. I, I love um, that he's tied into the world, uh, and it's a uh, it's cool to be able to do that. And obviously, uh, Seth, you thought it was pretty cool when uh, when we came up with it. Yeah, uh, he, I mean, he's a guild artisan, though. Yeah, that, that's his background. I, I like to I like it when we keep characters consistent and like canon in our like head canon of the world mm-hmm. because I mean it makes it interesting. Like, if new players come in or new players leave or whatnot, you know they're not going to get it as much. But for the players that are still there throughout the campaigns, it's really cool to be like, oh, well, that's my character from last campaign that's doing this thing, or like. Oh, this happened because of something that this character did. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's nice to um, to think about in that way. You know, and for the <laughs> for the lazy DM, you know, after you put two years of work into playing a character, you have a free NPC you just made. Right I think there. about that all the time. How for strangers, I can bring up any of these characters and NPCs, and it will seem like that. You know, mm-hmm. it'll seem like nothing. You know, to them, it'll be like, wow, that was a really fleshed out NPC. Nope, just play with that character for two years. <laughs> um, yeah, I made up on the spot. You know, yeah, you kind of came up deal. with it on my own. Anyways, I think that's where we're going to end this week of Table Talk Friday. Please send us emails with your thoughts on um, episode prompts or any questions you might have. We would love to answer them ourselves. Um, We do have that in the intro and outro, but I wanted to kind of say it here because we're interested in getting some prompts from you guys. You know, we can come up with as many as we want from about spells and combat abilities and things, which are all things we're going to talk about in the future, but I mean... Really, the crux of the show is the listeners. So we would love to hear what you have to say. Um, with that, Oswin, please take us out. Ah, thank you for listening to Table Talk Friday. For more adventures, check us out at your favorite podcast service. If you'd like to ask us a question about our travels, please send an email to tabletalkfriday at gmail.com. Otherwise, feel free to stop by next Friday for our next episode. And have a nice rest of your week.